The Pinball Network is online. Launching the Aussie Pinball Podcast. Now, Junior, behave yourself. Hello and welcome to this episode, episode number 12 of the Aussie Pinball Podcast. This episode again, we're back down to Newcastle, the self-proclaimed pinball capital of Australia, to talk to a couple of gentlemen that hang out at a place called the Goat Shed. Many Aussies would know them because of their love and services to the EM pinball community, with repairs and restoration being going on there for the past 40 or so years. We find out what started it all, their involvement with Pinfest and publishing, and find out a bit about their favourite Aussie music and movies. This intro song, one of their favourites, by the Twilights, and you may recognise the voice of Glenn Shorrock, who went on to even bigger things with Little River Band. Hope you enjoy it. So joining me this week's episode are a couple of gentlemen who live in New South Wales, and you'll have to guess where again, or nearby where, that live with a goat. And I think that goat's name's Spanky. Would that be right, gentlemen? That's correct. <laughs> Spanky the goat. He's a rescue yeah. goat. <laughs> okay. And so we've got uh, Kim and Graham from the infamous Australian Goat Shed. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. How are we on this lovely weekend? Yeah, very good, yeah. Yeah, sitting here looking out the windows, very nice. <laughs> a bit a bit <laughs> cloudy today here in Newcastle, but oh, anyway. Oh, never. So tell me about the origin of the rescue goat, the goat shed, and all things goatish. What's the origin of it being called the goat shed? Yeah, and what you do there. Oh, okay. Um, well, Graham's been fixing pinball machines for over 37 years. But what happened was, as, as far as the goat shed came about, I've been with him now eight years, and one of our friends wanted to build his own pinball machine. So Graham dug up a few parts and a cabinet, and he found a back box animation from a game called Dogs Race, which had the chain-driven dogs in the back box so the guy said oh that's great thank you and he off he went and he said but i really want to have a theme for the game he came up with a couple of ideas and then one day he appeared and he had a goat mask and a little toy goat and he said this is what we're going to have we're going to have goats racing and we're go, go, goat derby goat derby yeah <laughs> and we're going to give them all a name yeah it was in a um a 1954 bingo cabinet that he restored in the the mechanics was mostly out of the um, a Williams bowler strike from 64 that we got as a wreck and just got the mechanics going and gave him all that to put into it. But he never actually finished it. He never finished it. The Frankenstein monster of pinball repairs. The goat derby. Dar derby or derby? You can tell me. Uh, well, it depends where you come from. Yeah, it's <laughs> correct. But it's definitely Newcastle, not Newcastle. Right. Yes. On television, there was a series of advertisements running 
from people that lent money or something like that, and they had a goat in it, and we were quite amused by that. And the goat's name was Spanky. And they were come on, Spanky. And so we just adapted that name. So that's so, where we got from. So, so obviously you had a lot of marijuana in Newcastle in those days. Right. <laughs> And, and, and we never change him. It's the same one, no matter how dirty he gets, we clean him up. Every every time he goes away somewhere, we give him a bath <laughs> in, the, in the Cairo. So, so that particular goat has done two tours of the USA. It's been to Tasmania and it's been to the Brisbane Masters twice. <laughs> I don't remember seeing him at the Brisbane Masters. Does he hide? Do you put him on the game when you're playing? Does he sit on the back box and watch you or what happens? He was at the bar with me most of the time. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> But uh, there's a pin fest as well every year. The people come out and want an autograph with him, just a photo there. And yeah, <laughs> so he's a very famous goat. He's a famous goat. I can't believe he's lasted all this long and you haven't lost him. He's been kidnapped a couple of times, but we got him back. <laughs> yeah, one, one lady at pin fest a few years ago kidnapped him and took him to the toilets. The girl, oh. but we won't go into that. <laughs> I think the poor men's tribe would love to hear that story. They'll be have to be something to be told in person in Texas one year or at Expo. So yep. physically, all right. So we've got the goat. We've got the idea. Physically, what is the goat shed? It's the home of EM Pinball Repair in Newcastle. As we said earlier, Graham's been doing this a long time now. When I joined him, I bought two pinball machines and I wanted to learn how to repair them. So once I retired, which was back in September 2014, I was able to come over here and spend a bit of time and learn. So at first, things were a bit slow. But all of a sudden, Graham had already had a big reputation as being an expert EM pinball mechanic. More machines just started to appear out of the woodwork. I don't know the reason why. I can't tell you. We don't know. They just served the machines in Newcastle area. They just appeared. <laughs> and every day, build it and they will come. If you build it, you will come. <laughs> they, will, they will come. And we've already got people rang up just yesterday. A guy from Victoria wants to bring a, a Gottlieb kingpin up to be repaired now, apparently he has family that live in newcastle and he's going to drop it in in january or february so really the work just comes out we don't advertise we're, we we don't need to and and we we're not a business we're just hobbyists um and we just enjoy repairing electromechanical pinball machines it's it's a, a passion for us both really so is it an insult or a compliment to say an em pinball repairman just needs three things a paper business card, a leaf bending switch, and a soldering iron. <laughs> Is that a compliment or an insult? Oh, no, um, I think it'd be a compliment. Um, we, we don't use the, the business card; we we use a file. Oh, <laughs> I thought you weren't supposed to use that because it rubs off the beautiful brass coating on the contact points. Mainly EMs aren't aren't the that type of contact. See, there's always so much to learn. I, you know, everything about EMs absolutely fascinates me. And what sort of stages of repair do these things come into you? Almost working, never worked. I mean, we're talking about machines that are sixty years old. Yeah, yeah. Some machines never work for thirty years. We get them in here, and we we're here for two or three weeks, and they're all working. But some machines are just absolute basket cases, and they can think we can do wonders. But you got to think whether we're going to restore um, one machine or we're going to restore four with the same time limit. So it's got to the stage now where some people are just buying um, really bad machines off eBay and thinking that they can come in, we can work miracles, which we can, but with the, the time just takes too much. So we've got to put that put the machines behind and get the other ones out as soon as we can because we've just got so much work on. We can't spend like two months on one machine when we've got about eight in the, in the lineup. And I've seen pictures of your shed. 
air conditioned lovely. Did I say air conditioning going in the other last year or something? Yeah, about oh, three years ago now, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, uh, our friends from the Tasmanian Pinball Mafia kindly donated us an air conditioner. Yeah, call out to the boys, right, boys? Nice. Tazzy's. Tazzy's. Well done. Yeah, so all the repairs are done there, and that's at the back of your house, is it? Yeah, yeah. Um, like the, the original, the, I had an original shed at the front that's been here forever since the house was built, and then, um, when I retired back in 1990, I had a, I moved back here to the parents' house and I built another shed on the back. And they were separated, but now we got them joined about a year ago, in January this year, which makes a, a life a lot more, more easier. So we just wheel machines from the front shed right to the back, and we usually got one in the back that we're working on, but we just got so much stuff that we're working everywhere. Of course, I've got heaps in the house as well. Bingo machines everywhere too. <laughs> it just never ends. Bingo machines. Um, right, I'm not. I haven't even tried to venture into the pit, the bingo machine repair. Are they as much a nightmare as people say? Because they're so complicated. Well, actually, I learnt learn how to fix on a bingo before I fixed a pinball machine, which was very lucky because I I bought a, a bingo machine, uh, my first machine back in 1985 from um, a gentleman in Sydney. It was a Key Wester 1956 bingo. And at the time, there was um, no one that could help me fix it, so I just had to learn myself. I tinkered with that for about six months and got, got it all happening. And then um, a friend of mine suggested, well, you know, why don't you look at pinball machines? So I said, right, I like pinball machines. And um, I bought my first pinball machine. It just kept accumulating. And back then, you could buy pinball machines be between $50 and $100. I would just look at them. If they had potential, I would get them going. But if they didn't, I just had to wreck it because there was no parts around anywhere. And there's no internet, of course, so, and I couldn't even get rubbers. And was just lucky that sometimes I buy a machine and there'll be rubbers inside the machine. And um, that's how it worked. I just continued and continued. And then eventually, around 95, I teamed up with another bloke that was retired that lived not far away from my house. We went on the road probably every day, every weekday, from about 9 o'clock to about 3 o'clock, just going doing house calls, buying machines for the next 10 or 12 years. And, and we sort of learned of each other what we were doing. So... And he done um, solid state machines as well. I learned a little bit off that, but my interest was really EM, so I didn't you know, do too, too much about that that side of things. But um, I still, I don't mind them, but um, we don't work on them. But What's the rarest EM you've come across in Australia? Can you think of one that really stood out? Yeah, probably Miami. Or, um, what was it? Or, um, Genko, was it Genko? Genko or Chicago coin machine from 1938, 39. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a, a chap had bought it and it didn't work and he wanted it to work. And oh, flipperless game. That was, and it was in fabulous back glass and yeah. to it in fabulous condition. So many different machines, unbelievable. We see a lot of common ones. What we see, many, many like surf champs, Broncos, card wizards, um, kingpins, just the big, common big ones. Indian, yeah, big yeah. Indian, big braves. And um, we love seeing stuff we don't see that often come in. It's great seeing a nice old push up ball or um, or an old wood rail, especially. I've got a um. I picked up a haul of EMs a few years ago, and it was extraordinary, the games he had. I've done them all up and sold them all except a couple. Of course, my daughter's Snow Queen, which became Stranger Things over there for her school project. I've got a Gottlieb Super Jumbo stored in my house under there, which was the first ever multiplayer EM game, which I it looks like a bit of a dud game, but just historically it'd be nice to do up. A lot of those two and four player Gottliebs from the 50s, they were, they were just... Um, Pretty looking machines, but not great games. But nah, but Klondike with the uh, poker reels in the uh, in the, the play field. Actually, it's probably my favourite game, Klondike, but I've never seen one in the shed. The fix, mm-hmm. but they're, they're they're not that easy to find. No, they are. Well, I, I did mine up and kept it for about a year, and then sold it to a, a lovely chap by the name of Yi who was in New Zealand. So it got exported over to New to New Zealand because he uh, 
grew up playing as a child and absolutely loved it. I noticed that you've been sharing the love of repair with your courses and your online tutorials. Can you tell me a bit more about those? Yeah, well, we decided probably just over one, two years ago now that, well, three, actually, we should have a YouTube channel. And I think it might have been actually Marco that mentioned it. So we made a few little clips and put them up there and just left them there and didn't worry too much about it. And then we realised that we hadn't done a post for a while and we started doing a few more. And Yeah, so we've got our YouTube channel now and it's doing quite well. We've got, I think, just under 1,500 subscribers. We put a video up every couple of days and they're mainly about the current job we're working on and some specialised repairing, how to repair units in the machine, step units, replay units, score reels, score motors, and, and general troubleshooting. And we also run our own courses here in Newcastle, which we've had people from afar come. And that's about a four-hour course we run on a Saturday morning. And it gives people an insight into the basics of electromechanical pinball repair with the hope that they can go away and, and learn a little bit themselves and help themselves out and be able to do some basic repairs. I guess the reality is, you know, Graham and I can't be here forever. <laughs> um, any of us. And, and there's so many people out there fixing the more modern games, the, the DMDs and the solid states and so on. Uh, it's not funny. So there's a, there's a lot covered there. But the, the electromechanicals, yeah, they're, they're a worry, and even over in America, they have grave concerns about this as well. So it's a worldwide problem, but hopefully we all can contribute in some way to help people learn a little bit more about them. I think it's a great idea. You need a higher PhD education degree when you first start reading schematics, and just that alone, once you get the hang of it, it does make repair much easier, but uh, you've got to be there in person, touching a machine, all seeing it live, and watch people who know schematics, follow them through to show you, well, your problem will be the green-brown wire, which is obviously grey because all the colours have gone out of them. Well, it's funny because Kim, Kim, Kim's a schematic man, and I, he, Kim looks at the problem for the schematics, but I look at the machine and mother it out. We're, and we come together and sort of saying, Kim, just look at that one. I said, no, no, it's, it's a problem here. And we, work, we work it out eventually in the end. So we work very well together. Cool. You've got the brains and the brawn. You can decide which one's which. That's all right. <laughs> and you've also been heavily involved in Pinfest, of course. What can you tell us about the origins and the uh, the adventures that go on at Pinfest in Newcastle? Yeah, well, Pinfest is what is eleven years now, Kim, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, I was at the regional meeting when it, when it first started the um, pinball and peach, I think it was that back in uh, Broadmeadow, in uh, was it two thousand and twelve? And we just worked it out, and we'll. Very apprehensive about what's going to happen, but um, the first year, or probably the first two or three years, a lot of people brought in six machines or so each, and, and the go-to was just swap of machines. And but as Kim was just saying, look, everyone's getting a bit on now. We're just able to bring all these machines every year, and we, and it's got to the stage now where it's worked out good because people, individual people, are just bringing one or two machines, which is great. It's held every year. It was held at Kay's Beach Hotel for the first or probably eight years, I think, was it Kim? And then we had to find another venue, and we found it at um, Club Macquarie out of Argentine and, um, and it's worked very well there and um, the club's very happy and it's a it's a big event it's only getting bigger actually like when we first started there's only 60 odd machines now we're getting up to 85 mm. and um, there's room for more we've just got to get more contributors and the machines hold up to the uh, the heavy play there's usually around about anywhere between about a dozen and 16 a.m. games and um, and fortunately a lot of those machines have been to the gate shed already so we know the machines and they hardly ever break down at all maybe just a stuck flipper or a broken rubber or something like that but 
really um, take it pretty crazy, Kim and me, and just um, walk through <laughs> and see so that all the machines are working properly. No, we did just then we had no great problems. That's good. That's yeah. the thing about it. I mean, the, with the EMs, the more you play them, the better, the happy they are, isn't it? All that's it. And we tell, the, tell people when they pick up a machine, make sure you play it. Don't, just, don't take it home and not plug it in. And then two years later, plug it in and then ring, ring us up and say it's not working. <laughs> You've got to... They're designed to be played, not looked at. How far do you go with the restoration side of it? Tell me more about restoring these beauties. It depends what people want. We've got to a point now where we don't have a lot of time to do full restorations. Uh, or if we do, we've got to do it over, say, you know, uh, anywhere between a six to 12 month period. But we have, we do pull cabinets right down, everything completely out of them. And we used to fill them and repair them. And But now we actually have a guy that's building new cabinets for some of the Gottlieb games, which is sort of making life a little bit easier. But as far as the electrics and mechanicals go in it, we have pulled every relay apart and cleaned them and all the frames, the relays go in, buff the heads of screws. You know, it's all possible, but it's just very time-consuming. The great thing, I think, about you can buy a lot of the parts off the pinball resource in America. So, you know, you want a new front door for a Gottlieb, you can buy it. You want new legs, you can buy them. Of course, you can get them in Australia. But there's a lot of parts available. So Graham uh, has just actually drawn stencils up. We've got a, a, a bowling queen here from 1964. And a guy bought that, and it's all been beautifully restored. We've been given the task of, of repainting it. So Graham's tried the stencils, and he's going to actually repaint that when we get that back yeah. from the from the carpenter. We've sent that away. Well, I've actually restored it five machines for this um, one customer. Okay. He just wants them all to be in the same sort of style that I do. And, um, yeah. I do it in the original style when they first come out of the factory. Like, I don't do a, a, a glossy finish. I just do a, a matte finish or a satin finish. Which, um, which is how they come out of the factory because I remember a lot of these machines when they were new. I can think you, you know the pimp, some of them, some look great, but an old EM, just like it, like it how it used to be when it came out of the factory. And that's how I just, that's really what I tried to look for. Have you worked yeah, out so, the magic art of stippling the black speckles all over it? Yeah, well, um, I do the webbing sometimes, but we've actually got a, a cabinet maker that does that for me now because I used to repair all the cabinets and uh, oh, it was an absolute nightmare. And now what we do is we strip it down to nothing, uh, give the cabinet to our cabinet maker. It comes back white base with the webbing or the speckle. And I just do the pattern and the, the clear coat and put the machine back together and get it working. And it, it works great for us. Saves us a lot of time and we get, we're not getting more machines this way. Anyone else around your area do it or you're it? <laughs> you're it for the whole of New South Wales. Because I've been doing it for so long, we have so many EM parts. is unbelievable. Like um, sometimes Kim's fascinated when he says, oh, you've got one of these and I like the order one, I said, no, no, I'll just go at the front set and bring it back in here, how many you want, you know, and it's great. Because I've got parts here Kim wouldn't, have, wouldn't imagine. Yeah. <laughs> the new old spot from the 50s and 60s. <laughs> he, he came up with a coil I was looking for yesterday, yeah, and um, Kim said, I said, you won't have one of these. <laughs> and he, yeah, two minutes later, here it is. Yeah. <laughs> As we said earlier, unfortunately, look, there are people that we're aware of that do work on pinball machines. There's a guy that lives just north of us, about an hour's north of us, does all his own machines, but I don't think he's interested in repairing for the for the general public. Public, mm. you know, and I'm sure there are other people around that have been around doing it for a long time as well. But for some reason, capital cities like Sydney really don't have many people no. that do no. electromechanical games. No. Yeah. Passed away. Have you yeah. visited the? Someone was telling me about the Lunar Park site. Have you visited that with all the M's on location? I haven't been there yet. 
Apparently, uh, he's pretty good at restoring them, and I can't remember his name, but he's uh, he's got about 20 EMs on site at Luna Park. Well, I think that's all finished. Went up for auction the other week. Oh, no, I missed it. Yeah. No, we, we neither of us have been there, but we've seen photos and everything. Some people that come by the shed have mentioned it and so on and so forth. Apparently, it was a sight to behold. There was a lot of machines there, and particularly back in the day. Mm. So we've got to remember, too, here in Newcastle, but I often refer to Newcastle as the pinball capital of Australia. Well, I think for a couple of reasons, like A. Hankin and Company, who have been around for a long, long time, of course, had made their own machines in a what, 78 when it rained? Oh, 78 for a little bit. Late 79, I think. Yeah, was. so I think they made five. Five different machines. And, and as, a, as I was a kid growing up, in the 60s, they had their own fun parlour uptown called Player Mat, right up near Newcastle Beach. And then later on, they opened one up, which is named after their pinball machine, but the pinball machine was named after that called All But One. They were going to, because I knew the guy actually that painted the first All But One, and they were going to continue like an All But Two and All But Three. It didn't go as well as what they thought. The first first thing they started was, goes in people's minds all the time, is that they had about a row of eight pinball machines, and they were the first solid state machines that they made, like early valleys. They were all on this lock of legs, so they didn't have legs on the machines. And so basically, you're, you're just playing a machine that, that was proper height, but on a ledge. And they played terrible. You couldn't move and you, you couldn't put your feet under the machine because the ledge was there. And, and oh, it was what an absolute nightmare. And that put a lot of people off and they never got the customers back. Why did they have legs? <laughs> they thought it was a new, new in thing, late um, 70s, you know, early 80s. And imagine playing a pinball machine with no legs. Just sit, just say sit on a coffee table. That's what it felt like. Um, you couldn't put your feet under the table because it was straight down the ledge. And, oh, geez, could probably complain and complain. And they <laughs> sort of pulled the machines out a little bit. And, oh, and, the, and like, the ledge was um, on carpet. And so it's just like a carpeted ledge, and, and they would slide, and, oh, it'd be horrible. <laughs> no, no control, and so that died pretty quick. I remember all the old pinball horns around Newcastle back in the day. Yeah, there's a lot of pinball machines everywhere. Bring them back. Now you've got to have kids yeah. gambling machines anywhere to make money. Or yeah. a bar. <laughs> oh, the bingo machines up in town lose a lot of, a lot of money. All afternoon on 10 cents. I was, I was pretty good playing back in the day. I'm not, not as good now. I'm better fixing than what I am playing. Competitions, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Competition does funny things to pinball. <laughs> yeah, if you're, if you're a 10 year old kid and, you're, and um, you're down on your last point, you've got to get a game or you've got to go home. <laughs> it's, it makes a bit of difference. Yeah. Now, tell me more with the uh, the wisdom of uh, of age that you keep referring to. <laughs> Give me some Aussie music that you grew up with that you love. I was a bit like a, a, an old punk rocker back in the day, and like the bands that I used to hear, like like all the people when I went to school, they used to love all Skyhooks and Sherbet and all them sort of music bands, but I couldn't get into them. I like more like the the British bands, like the late. From the you know like the Cure and the Sex Pistols and that, but I I like the the Saints. That was a uh, um Australian. Alternative music, but I, I really um, not a great fan of that sort. Of, but it was good. Don't get me wrong; I, I did like some of it. But um, 
What, what was your music? Kim, Kim grew up in the sixties. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I grew up in the sixties, so you know, like the, the Twilights, which is you know, Glenn Shark, of course, was in that. He's still yeah. rock and roll. And you know, the, the group uh, was another great Australian band, and of course, back in the day, we had. Um, you know, Countdown was on in the early 70s, which was great for Australian music. So, yeah, and I'm like Graham, I, I like a lot of British and, and American music. Give us your favourite Aussie movie, and you're not allowed to say Bad Max, because everybody loves Mad Max for some reason. Oh, well, Alvin Purple's got to be up there. Oh, Alvin! I feel a theme <laughs> song coming in. Oh, that was so uh, raunchy in its day. Like what? <laughs> I just rewatched it again on um, on one of the streaming services. Only just, uh, just before I went to America, actually. How does it hold up after all these years? Yeah, well, it's probably getting a bit lame now, but yeah, it was a great movie. Oh, Graham Blundell, you know, he yep. never, 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 um, never got over that. Elv- Abigail on the tram, that'll be etched in my mind as a young man forever. <laughs> <laughs> and Graham, any movies stick in your head? I like an old Australian movie called Star Trek, which was actually a lot about Countdown back in the day. If anyone wants to see it, it was old, about 1984 it came out. It was, yeah, it was um, set in Sydney around the Opera House and, um, and actually Luna, Luna Park I think was in there a little bit as well. From the director of My Brilliant Career... A totally new kind of Australian film. My cousin Angus, he's reading this book, Sex Psychology, and he reckons guitars are like phallic symbols. And guitarists masturbate for a living. She got body, she got soul. I'm trying to And um, it's a very obscure movie that you'll never get the chance to see. It's called Starstruck. And, yeah. and I enjoyed that movie, yeah. And it's and it's um, very subtly mentions um, Molly Melder and what he got up to and all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, I read um, I read both Molly's books, his autobiographies that he, he wrote. He's a, he was an amazing man back in the day at promoting Australian music. Never felt a corruption. Hated drugs. But uh, it's a great read if you like Aussie music. Read it in Melton's yeah. first book in particular is wonderful. Yeah. I think you've done a lot for Australian music. Yeah. And where's your favourite holiday spot around Australia? Yeah, personally, I like um, Fremantle. Okay. Way yeah, over the west? Yep. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people think I'll go to Perth. My first great to visit, but I reckon Fremantle is the place to um, stay. Personally, yeah, I love it there. I haven't been there for a while, but I used to go there for a month every year for about probably nearly on 10 years. Yeah, it was okay. great. No, I think I agree with you. Yep. And Kim? Noosa Heads. Down Hastings Street, all the cafes? Yeah. Yeah, been going there since about 1971, I think. Excellent, excellent. No, I like it. I like a bit of Noosa. Full of Melbourne people, though. <laughs> True. Yeah. Graham, you particularly had a, a hand, uh, Marco, who we chatted to last episode in his book. Did you have a hand in all four books or uh, just the first yeah, one? Well, like the first book that he wrote. The complete pinball book. Yep. Yeah. Well, I got that, Marco. He, he got my... Um, Addressed off someone in the ring and phone number and ring me up. Oh, I would have been maybe early '99, I think, maybe. And he said, you know, told me what he's all about. Wanted to come around and see if he can take some photographs of film machines that I had. And I said, yeah, right. I only come around. He couldn't believe all the stuff I had, and 
not just the machines, but the parts and everything. And he done what he had to do. And we got on very well together. And, and he's saying that I had wrote um, articles for other magazines and whatever. The next the next book that he'd done, he invited me to come and give him a hand to um, help with the photos. Also be a chauffeur. <laughs> and, uh, nice. Okay, because I enjoyed it. We went yeah, went to Queensland a few times and out west a bit and whatever. And we were, we were doing all the photos and whatever for his second book. And he sort of said, you know, he seen what I was doing and he seemed to think I had a bit of an idea what was going on. So he said, do you want to collaborate? We could put in an offer to Shifter to um, do a, a series of three books over the next, I don't know, say seven or eight years. And we sent off the a couple of sample chapters and they said, yeah, that looks good. So they said, we'll give you a two book deal instead of three and we'll see how we go. For the next two books, I actually was co-authored with Marco and a lot of work, absolute hell of a lot of work. It was a good deal. Like, who ever thought about, I could be an author of the book? Yeah, my, my English teacher said I was an idiot. <laughs> so, <laughs> nah. And so there's hope for everyone, but it was great. But as I said, a lot of work. And people say, when are you going to do another one? I said, no, nah, no, nah, it's yeah. not happening. Pinball memories and pinball snapshots for those uh, those two? That was the second one, Mark, I'd done. We'd done um, pinball perspectives. Right. Uh, and uh, pinball snap. Well, snapshots were the first one. We're going to do, like, snapshot one, snapshot two, and snapshot three. But our editor suggested that we um, change the name of each book because they sound too similar. And people might think they already had the book already, so we had to change it. I was telling Kim the other day, uh, how long does it take to write a chapter? I said, oh, about four long necks. <laughs> <laughs> For the American audience, that's a bottle of beer. <laughs> a brown bottle of beer. And... Uh, for the EM pinball owners, what's your top maintenance tips? Apart from playing the game as often as possible, what's your top maintenance tip for a good EM? Clean and wax your play for at least once a year. That looks after that. Replace any burnt out light globes. Change, change the pinball maybe, you know, depending on use, at least maybe once a year or once every two years. Once they start to get scratched, they can, you know, mm. cut the play for it up a little bit. They're, they're, the, they're the main things. I think if you buy a game and you like a machine, you're going to keep it for a long time. Actually, get to know what you're doing. Pull the machine down and don't just bayonet a problem. Just go right into it. If you've got a problem on a step, don't just you know oil it up or spray it with WD-40. You've got to strip the whole thing down and rebuild it. Then that's going to last you forever. Yeah, but the, um, they weren't clear-coated, so you actually wax the bare wood? We take it by machine. We see see what the machine's like. If you've got a machine that's from the, the got, especially the Gottlieb's, the early 70s Gottlieb's, they, they plank a lot. And you can't really do bugger all with the paint just comes off, so you've got to be careful. So on the later model machines that have got a great surface, we um, just clean it with furniture, furniture piles to start with. And any ingrained, like, dirt in the bore swirls, swirls we just get a soft toothbrush and uh, tea tree oil and just keep going with that, and that'll get a lot of the dirt out. Then furniture polish, and then we just give it a, a light car wax uh, twice, and we buff it with the, the buffer. Okay. But that's not all games. It all depends on the machine to see right. how, how the paint is, yeah. And, 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 um, and we take every, everything off the machine, off the plate board, and any metal parts we buff up or get re-chromed, whatever needs to be done, clean all the posts or replace the posts. So right, most plate boards we um, look, you know, get looking to uh, really speak. And, of course, each machine that comes to the shed, we do all the timber on the side, on the on the side of the um, plate field. We take that off. We um, sand it down. We give it a coat, couple of coats of clear. We paint the top arch. The tray, if the customer wants it done, we put a new sticker on the tray as well. 
And so we do the whole lot. And um, a lot of them, they don't ask us to do it, but we do it anyway because we, we like the machine to look the best as can. Oh, that's cool. The, um, co- is there a controversy? Uh, incandescent or LEDs? Do LEDs have a place on EM machines? Oh, it's a hard call. I know every time Marco brings a machine in for his do, we take his LEDs out. He hates us doing it. <laughs> but um, if, if there is LEDs, we don't mind them in the special lights and, and feature lights. So they're not too bad. But for, for GI, it's not doesn't look a great, not a great look. I, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, a, lot, a lot of people put them in the score rules actually, and they look, they look too bad. They brighten up the score rules a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not worried about the heat generation under inserts, or the, that's why you're happy with LEDs under there? Well, for home use, who's going to leave the machine on for 12 hours straight? You know, it's, it doesn't really worry us. Does it, Ken? No. No. No, people, people want to use their LEDs. But probably the answer to the question is, no, we don't like them. <laughs> but yes, yes, we accept that, that they have improved an awful lot over the years. Oh, and people are using these warm whites and so on, and... I think an example, we had a Gottlieb surfer in here the other day and the guy had LEDs all through it. And even when he came back, he said, oh, they look terrible there as general. He said, I'm going to take them out. Well, that's probably a good thing, you know, but yeah, they're, they're available and people put them in, so so be it. And I don't know whether you know, but the new um, Bond machine out of Stern's going back to score reels in the back box. I'll be interested oh. to see with modern technology what they do with a score reel. Um, I assume it'll be opto-driven rather than leaf-switch-driven, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see when that comes out. Yeah, yeah that'd be yeah. exciting, yeah. Yeah, have you seen the Wonelli? I've, I've never actually had the opportunity to look in the back box of Wonelli to see how they've done their score reels on that game. I've seen a video of the game playing. It looks very interesting. I, I, I don't mind it, but um, no, we've never worked on one or... Uh, <laughs> no idea how they work. No, we see what see what technology can do with school wheels because I love nine and zero adjustment leaf switches. They're so much fun. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. That's, of course, that's, that's the most common problem. That's what everyone brings us up. So, oh, the motor just keeps turning there, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we get it all the time. And it's always bloody player one because that's the one that's always being used. Yeah. 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 And then not only that. Um, so, like a person might only play player one and then they have a party, then they've got four people playing and the fourth player doesn't work and they wonder why. They yeah. haven't played four players for three years. <laughs> At least three years, yes. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they're on 1,600 and they hit a switch and it goes to 3,000. Yeah. Uh, no, you didn't win. <laughs> Cheating. <laughs> That's right. So, we, we always tell people if they've got two or four player machines to. Don't only play the single player, play the two and four players, you know, every now and then just to get yeah. them working a bit better. Yeah, so nothing nothing gummies up. You're guilting me out here. I've got to turn on I've got to turn on my Snow Queen and <laughs> have a four player game. All right, gentlemen, thank you for that. Yeah, but for sure. Thank you for your time this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Good day, mate. See ya. See ya. Bye. So there you have it. The goat shed fame of Newcastle lives on through Graham and Kim. I had a good time talking to them, and I love ear machines myself. Um, I wouldn't mind having some more, and they're just great fun to repair and play with, and thanks for all their services over the years. So remember to contact us, aussiepinballpodcast at gmail.com. If you're listening to this in live recent release times, have a good holiday period, and we'll be doing some more next year. And I'll leave you with the Saints... And one of their classic hits, Burn Like Firewood, out of 1974. Catch you next year.